Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I am so glad uh, you are here today. I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you that Sunday really is uh, my favorite day and not for the Super Bowl, right? I mean, I get to meet with you guys. I look at, hey, Joey, somebody won some medals in the Special Olympics, didn't they, this past week? Hey, Joey, will you stand up? Hey, look, at we got a champion in our midst, Brother Joey, yeah. Some medals in the Special Olympics this week, yeah. You know what? I love it. I love it. So proud of him. So, so proud of him. I like being with Joey. I like being with you guys. We got a student that goes here, Bree Freeman. And every about Friday, she starts posting how excited she is to get together with the church. And you know what? I'm with her. I just love gathering together to make much of Jesus with you each and every week. Let me tell you the title of today's sermon. Now, we have been, over the past few weeks, studying the book of Acts, right? We've been watching Philip catch some courage through the gospel and the power of Christ in him. We saw him start chasing chariots because Jesus caused him to. Last week, we saw as Jesus would capture the heart of a lost cause. And today, you and I are going to talk about what it is to cause some chaos with our faith. That you and I ought to get busy causing a little chaos with our faith. And we'll unpack that just a little bit. But hey, isn't life at times just filled with, with some chaos? You ever just have chaotic moments or just life feel like just chaos is everywhere around you? How, how about in your marriage? Golly, some of y'all amen. <laughs> Slap the person. Okay, listen, man, it's even there in marriage. In fact, I want to share one story with you. Is, is my wife still in here? I'm just scared. She really does make great chili now, I promise. It's the best ever. Anyway, listen, so we are early on in our marriage. Before kids, uh, we had just gotten married. I was invited to preach at a, uh, talking about chaos, down at the, uh, the coast of Mississippi where Hurricane Katrina just a year and a half earlier had come ashore. And I was preaching to several churches who had gathered to do some work, and it was my job just to just to pump them up the gospel, to encourage them. And so we go down there and we do, it was a great time. Well, we decided with the honorarium they gave us that we were going to just stay for a few days around that Gulf area and just go to some of our favorite restaurants and stay at the beach at the cheapest hotel. So we did that. And we got by to our favorite restaurant down that way. And it's a restaurant by the name of Lambert's. Anybody ever been to Lambert's? They are home of the what? Throat rolls. This is no joke. I didn't dream this. This is reality, right? They come out with a cart in this restaurant, and they pick up a roll as big as your head. And they say, who wants one? And people raise their hand. And listen, these teenagers chunk these rolls at people across the restaurant. Most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And listen, just incredible. Well, that day, and we were eating there, and, and I saw on the menu that they had some ribs. And we, we have no money. And I said, you know what, I think, Aaron's like, what do you want? I said, I want the ribs. She said, go ahead and get them. I said, okay, I'm going to get them. So we ate, and listen, within two minutes, there was not meat left anywhere on any bone on my plate, right? They were gone. It's just incredible. Well, the waiter comes back by, and he's like, hey, man, you want me to get you some more ribs? And I was like, yes, but, I, man, I ain't paying, you know, 15 more dollars for ribs. I, just, I can't do that, right? I just can't come. I wanted to so bad, but I didn't do it. 
And so we get done eating and we pay and we go get out into the car and we're going to head home that day. And uh, mom, you remember this day? Aaron looks at me in the car and says, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you get any more ribs? I said, babe, I ain't paying $15 for more ribs. She goes, they were all you could eat. I said, Aaron, do you know me? Why is this conversation not being held inside there when he offered this to me? I said, babe, who are you? Who am, do you not know your husband? I said, are you kidding? Of course I want more ribs. And so I called my mama. What you should do every time you get in a fight with your wife, just call your mother. And I said, mama, she's like, what's wrong, baby? You know how moms answer the phone like that? You call them, who's dead? Anyway, she's like, what's wrong, baby? I said, listen, mom, it's okay. I need a question. Do you know me? She said, what's wrong? I said, do you know me? I'm in here with Aaron. She goes, what did she do? I was like, mom, do you know your son? She's like, yes. I said, if I had a chance to see next ribs, what I do? And she said, yes. I said, thank you, mother. Then I called my brother and every childhood friend I had. And I made the case that, of course, I would want more ribs, right? And so... For about seven days, there was chaos in my marriage. Um, the counseling's helped, and we have moved past that moment and that threat. But listen, life is sometimes just full of some chaos. But you know what I think about our faith? And you know what? It's good every so often for your faith and my faith to cause some chaos in the hearts and lives of other people. Some good in some godly chaos. My faith and your faith needs to cause. So here's where we've been, studying the book of Acts, right? We have watched how Luke has conveyed how the gospel has been at work to Theophilus. Now remember, Theophilus might very well be Luke's one. The very one Luke is praying will come to faith and trust in Jesus. The one who is far from God but close to Luke. And very well, his gospel and the book of Acts could have been written to encourage, to win Theophilus over to faith in Christ. Well, Luke is writing him. He's telling him how the church has, has grown, has exploded on the scene, both inside and outside of Jerusalem. We have watched the church birth, believers bring the good news, and even some bad guys brought to faith in Jesus. In fact, last week, we watched as the baddest of them all, Saul, was captured by Jesus. That word capture means that Jesus took him into his possession and saved him. The baddest of them all in Saul. Today, we are going to watch how Saul's new faith is busy causing some chaos for all the right reasons in Acts chapter 9. And here's a question for us, church. You ready? Are you ready today for your faith to cause some chaos? I believe that's exactly what we and the church need today. Now consider this. Saul's interaction with Jesus on the Damascus Road, his subsequent salvation and baptism, his changed life will all be put to the test here in Acts chapter 9. Will his faith hold up? Was his decision to follow Christ really genuine? Did he just get emotional on the Damascus Road when he encountered Jesus that day? Hey, by the way, aren't these the questions we oftentimes ask of someone else's faith? When someone else gives their life to Jesus, doesn't that critical 
nature in us begin to go, well, we'll see if it really took hold, if it really worked out. We have that, those very same questions. Now, as we consider this, leading up to this passage in Acts chapter 9, verse 19 today, Saul left the Damascus road blinded, fasting so he was starving, and he was thirsty. And now we begin to see Saul's faith cause some chaos. Watch what the Bible says here in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. And after taking some food, Saul regained his strength. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now, isn't it interesting that the very first thing Jesus prescribes for Saul's new faith is a believer to disciple him in Ananias. That's the very first thing Jesus prescribes for Saul's new faith. Here's the second thing we find, that he also prescribes a group of believers to belong to the very disciples in Damascus. Now, we don't know how this church formed, We don't know who this church was really made up of. We just know that Jesus prescribed for Saul's faith this group of believers to connect with there in Damascus. This is the, not only the prescription for Saul's new faith, but hear me church, this is the prescription for every believer's faith. Someone to disciple them and someone that they can disciple as well as a group of believers that they can connect with. I want you to hear me. At the heart of Connect Church's ministry is that we are disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Consider this. When Jesus left, he said this in Matthew 28, this very great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, hey, listen, go, therefore, and make mega churches. Go, therefore, and and make attenders. He said, go, and make disciples. And that is the very prescription Jesus gives for Saul's faith. Now watch this in verse 20 as this continues to unfold. And at once the Bible says this, that after spending some time with those disciples and being discipled, that Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, not only do we see the gospel at work here in Acts chapter 9, but Saul literally takes the gospel to his work literally takes it to his workplace. His vocation, his job, his calling was leadership in the synagogues. Forget the fact that his vocation, his job was in the religious arena. He takes the gospel to a work environment that was hostile to it and due in large part to his own rhetoric and rage against the gospel and against the church. And watch what he does. He stands up before this synagogue and declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Hey, isn't it funny that the first words ever recorded by Saul were in verse 5, where he's on the Damascus road. Jesus stands before him, his light flashes around him, and he says, Who are you, Lord? The first words we ever see recorded of Saul, Who are you, Lord? And here in verse number 20, The first words we hear from Saul after his conversion is that Jesus is the Son of God. Later on in Colossians, Paul would write this in Colossians 2.9, that for in Christ all the fullness of God or the deity lives in bodily form. Hear me. As Saul came to understand, Jesus is not just some religious leader that dots the landscape of history. He is God in the flesh. He is not just a way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes under the Father except 
by him. He is not just a God amongst the pantheon of gods. He is God alone and there are no others in life. There are very few hills worth dying on, but church, this is a hill that you and I, we gotta die on. Jesus is who he said he was. He is God in the flesh. He is God's son. Can you imagine that first synagogue service? Saul stands before the people. They know his story, his reputation. They know his passion. He says, hey, listen, old synagogue. You know the church I used to rail against? The Christians, the believers who I used to rage against? I'm one of them now. I'm one of them. Hey, could you imagine just for a moment the chaos, the confusion that was brought about by such a statement in the, believer, the Jewish believers' minds? Are, are you kidding me? Watch what the Bible says, the kind of the fallout from this, that all those who heard him were astonished and hacked. Isn't he the one who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet the Bible teaches us in verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and the word baffled, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Hey, take a look real quick at the results of Saul's new faith. They were astonished. That word in the Greek means this. They were literally beside themselves. They were struck out of their senses. It was a chaotic moment. You know what's amazing? Other people recorded that that's exactly how they felt about Jesus. In Mark chapter two, in Mark chapter five, in Mark chapter six, when Jesus would heal, when Jesus would preach, you know what it said of the crowds? They were astonished. Another word used, they were baffled. You know what the word baffled means in the Greek? It means they were bewildered. They were confused. They just couldn't put it together. You know what I love about Saul's faith here? His faith was both astounding and confounding at the same time astounding and confounding at the same time. And you know what? I think our faith ought to be just a little bit. That's the type of chaos we speak of. Isn't this the guy who created chaos for the church in Jerusalem? Imagine their questions. And now he's confessing faith in the very Christ he hated. Wasn't this the one who persecuted Christ's followers? And now he preaches their message? He now names a name he once denounced. His life is different. The man standing up before us at the synagogue is not the same man that we knew before. You ready, church? This is the type of good and godly chaos that you and I need to get busy causing in our community and in this world. Here's the chaos that I'm challenging you to create that comes only after Jesus saves you and me and he gives us new life. Jesus is the only one who can save us from the chaotic in us. And that is the very sin that desires 
to destroy us. I jotted this down when I thought about Jesus saving me. He alone has secured victory over, satisfied God's wrath against, and saved us from sin. And not just from sin, but the penalty of sin, which always leads to death and destruction. But not only the penalty of sin, the power of sin over us in our everyday. And praise God, one day Jesus will save us from even the presence of sin. Hey, can I ask you a question? Has Jesus calmed the chaotic in you? Not just by saving your life, but by giving you new life. He is the only one uniquely qualified to save the chaotic in you and in me. That very sin nature that destroys us. Let's take a look here in verse 23 as we continue. Now, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Now, now listen to me. We're, we're not talking about the Jewish people as a whole. We are talking about some corrupt leadership amongst the Jewish people. But we're not shocked by this, are we? Because it would be this very same people that killed Jesus, the very same people that would martyr Stephen, just corruption in leadership. We're not shocked by verse 23, are we? Look at verse 24. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept watch on the city gates. They were looking at the door in order to kill him. But his followers never took him in by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening on the wall. Further on in verse 29, we find this, that as Saul was speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus when he went back to Jerusalem and disputed among the Hellenists, those were Greek-speaking Jews, they attempted to kill him. And what is going on with all of this killing? Hey, can I share something with you, church? When you and I have some good and godly chaos going on in our faith for Jesus like Saul does here in Scripture. Hey, don't you know that the enemy will use people to try and kill you in some way? Don't you know that that's how he works? Don't you know that he's going he's to keep watching the dark places in order to look for an opportunity to kill you in some way? You know, it won't we'll always be physical. He won't always go after us physically. But you know what? He'll try to kill you, Joy. He'll try to kill your peace. He'll try to kill your reputation. He'll try to kill your relationships. Hear me, the enemy has plenty of wolves in sheep's clothing out there waiting to tear you to pieces. There are people who, much like those in the day of Saul, cannot cope with the godly and good chaos your faith is producing. So here's our action plan. You ready? Number one, pray for them. Jesus taught us how to pray and to love even our enemies. And number two, give them no power to affect what God is doing in your life and the good and godly chaos you are producing. Remember 1 John 4, 4. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's look at verse 26 as we continue in Scripture. The Bible says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So picture this. He leaves Damascus, heads to Jerusalem where he came from, tries to join the apostles, the disciples. 
but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple, not believing what's happened. Now, Jerusalem becomes the headquarters for the apostles, for the disciples. Remember, they send other believers out into the world with the gospel. Peter, James, and John, and the boys, this is where they are set up. And now we see Saul going back to where he came from. But I want you to notice this. Not only does Saul's new faith cause chaos amongst the Jews in Damascus, but it also causes chaos in the church in Jerusalem with the disciples there. And you know what? It's a good thing, and it's a godly thing. Because watch how Scripture plays out. In verse 27, but Barnabas. You know what? I pray for a lot of these moments in your life, but for Barnabas in your life and mine. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And Scripture goes on and says, He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So watch this in verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know what surprises me still? In verse 27, Jesus is still busy prescribing what Saul's faith needs the most. He needed a believer in Ananias to disciple him. Hey, by the way, who are you pouring Jesus into? And who are you discipling? Who is it that you are teaching to love and follow after Jesus more and more? Jesus still busy prescribing what Saul's faith needed, a group of believers to belong to in Damascus and now in Jerusalem. Hey, do you have a, a group of believers, a small group of church that you can belong to that's going to help you to grow in your faith in Christ? Hear me. Connect Church desires to be that. Our groups desire to be that. But if we're not getting it done, then you find a group you can grow in Christ in, even outside of these walls. We see Jesus prescribing what, what Saul's faith needed the most. And here's where we find it. You ready? We find that he prescribes a Barnabas for Saul. A Barnabas who had his back. Barnabas believed that Jesus and Saul and the proof of Saul's faith. And you know what? He saw it evidenced in his life. Barnabas had his back. Barnabas' friendship led to boldness in Saul's faith. Hey, hey, let me ask you something. Is there someone, some group of believers that is helping you be bolder in your faith? Hey, by the way, let me remind you again that the, the prescriptions that Jesus is writing for Saul's new faith is not just for him, but it's for your faith and my faith as well. We need it. We need it in our lives. You ready, church? You and I must be the Christian brother or sister, the Christian friend, that emboldens someone's faith in Christ. And by the way, it doesn't just happen. You have to do that on purpose. And we see Barnabas do just that. And as this passage unfolds, we find that for Saul, and even in our story, when Jesus calms the chaotic in you and me by saving us, the little bit of chaos caused by your faith and mine always presents us the opportunity to point people to Jesus. 
In verse 22, as we read just a moment ago, Saul was not only proving the gospel with his words, he was living proof that the gospel was real. Listen, he wasn't only talking about the gospel, trying to prove it with his intellect and his words, but he himself was living proof that the gospel was real and that Jesus really works. Hey, you ready? I look in this room and I see a lot of living proofs. That that's what we're called to be. Living proof that the gospel is real and that Jesus works. And we see that in Saul's faith. Now, Saul's faith in Christ might have caused some chaos and a, a little bit of confusion among the people, the Jewish people in Damascus, and even among the disciples in Jerusalem. But hear me. It presented him with a moment of clarity where he had the chance to tell them of the one who had the greatest impact and made the biggest difference in his life. Jesus. Jesus. Hey, do you know that's the very same platform you and I have in our lives as we live out our faith? Our faith may cause a little bit of chaos, confusion, in some people's mind. They may not understand why we don't do some of the things we just won't do. They may not understand why we prioritize some things over other things. They may not understand why we don't talk in certain ways. They may not understand the joy we have no matter what we are facing. But hear me, this is the truth we know. The chaos of our faith always leads to a moment of clarity where we are given the chance to, like Saul, Point people to the one who has made the greatest impact and the biggest difference in our lives. And that's Jesus. You may say, Anthony, listen, my faith, uh, my faith might cause a little chaos, but I really don't know how to point people to Jesus. I really don't know how to share the the gospel with people. You talk about it all the time. I just don't know. I hate, by the way, next Sunday afternoon, five o'clock right here, we're going to eat together. And I'm going to share with you how you can share the gospel. I'm going to give you tools. I'm going to equip you. Hey, and guess what? We'll have childcare provided. And I pray that hundreds of you will show up as we learn how to better share our faith. But can I share this with you? You already have the greatest tool at your disposal to share the gospel. You already have the most effective tool out there. In fact, Saul would use this tool three times in the book of Acts and also elsewhere in the New Testament in his writings. You know what that is? Your testimony. Your testimony. What Christ has done in you and for you. Well, you say, well, what what's my testimony made up? Well, let me just give you a real quick lesson. Number one, your testimony involves your story. That is this, your life before Jesus and the events that led up to you being saved. Now what was it in your life that led you to the point where you knew you were a sinner and you needed a savior? You ready? Because I'm a Trinitarian preacher, that means I always gotta preach with three points. Here's the second point of your testimony. You ready? His story. It is the story of the day and the moment that Jesus interrupted your life on your Damascus road, where he invaded your heart and your life. He saved you. 
and you placed your faith and your trust in him. Oh, that's when his story becomes your story, right? And then here's the third part of anybody's testimony, and that is this, our story. Meaning this, mine and Jesus' story. How he is still working in me, how he is working through me, and why I love him the most. It is a story that Saul would share three more times in Acts and elsewhere in Scripture. And you know what? When you and I are presented with the moment where our, our faith breeds a little bit of chaos, and there's that moment of clarity where you and I get the opportunity to point people to the one who has made the greatest impact and the biggest difference in our life, at that very moment, you and I can use our testimony to point people to Jesus. Here's what I jotted down. You ready? People can deny the existence of God, the authority of his word, the validity of his son Jesus, but they cannot deny the difference that Jesus has made in your life. In the moment of clarity, tell them what Jesus has done for you. I want to close with this story. And really, it's, it's Sammy's testimony. Sammy's testimony. See this beautiful young lady right here? I'm her youth pastor. And she'll forever know me as that. This young lady didn't go to church at our church. In fact, her family didn't go to church at all. But every Wednesday night at student night, she would be there. And, and, I, and I, don't for, I forget how long it was, but for years she sat under... My preaching and I would share the gospel with her every Wednesday night as well as all the other students. I'll never forget the Wednesday night though that she finally looked up at me during the invitation and said, you know what, tonight I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. Now I loved it because I began to watch this new faith begin to blossom. I began to watch her bring her friends to church so they could hear even more about Jesus and, and I love watching what God was doing in her life. Well, just a few weeks before graduation, Sammy was coming home from her boyfriend's house in her Jeep. And you know, every community has that curve uh, in the road somewhere that's just a little bit too sharp that you know you can't go really fast on because so many accidents happen there. Well, she took that curve too fast in our Charlotte community. And just like that, she was pinned under her jeep. And Sammy died. Of course, I caught word. Man, it just, it ripped my heart out. Just such a new faith. Such a young lady. Weeks from graduate. Well, I already got her graduation pictures. And she was gone. Now, I had no doubt where she was. Because Jesus is just that good. But I'd never met her family, but I knew I had to go over there. Now, now listen, we do this a lot in my line of work. I mean, we, we deal with this a lot. And it is heartbreaking every single time. But I didn't know mom or dad. I didn't know sister. I didn't know anybody. But I showed up at the house. I knocked on the door. And there was her grief-stricken father. Who are you? My, na my name is Anthony Kendall. I'm the same as you, Pastor. Come on in. And we sat down. We cried together. We shared stories of her together. 
I talked about the night that I remember she gave her life to Jesus and her, her grandmother spoke up in her tears saying, I remember that night she called me and told me how amazing it was and about her new faith. And little did I know the chaos, the good and godly chaos caused by Sammy's faith. A couple of days later, we hosted our funeral service at our church. It's a big church in Charlotte. And I watched as hundreds of teenagers poured in to that sanctuary. Had a chance to celebrate her life with hundreds of teenagers and, and hundreds of people just from the community who knew her story. And the time came for the invitation and her family wanted to make sure that I shared the gospel that I had shared many times with Sammy over the years at Student Night, that I shared that very same gospel at the celebration of her life at her funeral. And of course I will. And I did. And after I invited people to follow Jesus, I, I said as I do each week here, hey listen, today if you, if you ask Jesus to save you, if you placed your faith and trust in him, would you look up at me? And do you know the chaos of this little girl's new faith? Over 80 of her friends and families had given their heart to Jesus that day. You see, her new faith had caused some good and godly chaos. And you know what I got to do? In that moment of clarity, I got to point her family and friends to the one who made the greatest impact and the biggest difference in her life. And it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And you know, I think today, man, where do we leave from here? Like, what is the challenge that we go with? You ready? That some of you right now are wrestling against the chaotic nature of sin in your life that is leading to death and is destroying you. Hey, you know what I remember? The day that Jesus calmed that chaotic stuff in her. And he saved her. And he didn't just change your life, but he gave her new life. Hey, are you ready for Jesus to calm the chaotic in you? To give you peace and new life in a relationship with him? He's the only one who can do it. Here's the second challenge. You know what's amazing about Saul's faith? What Sammy's faith needed the most was somebody to disciple and for them to disciple somebody else. To be Ananias. To be involved in a group that helped each other in their faith. To have a Barnabas in their life that would have their back, that would believe in them when nobody else would believe in them. And so my question is, are you a disciple who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? You wanna learn more how to be that? We want to help you. And we're here for you. Here's the last challenge from the text. Are you ready to cause a little chaos with your faith? Hey, are you ready to see some good and godly chaos come about by your faith? Where it leads to a moment of clarity where you and I get a chance to point people to the one who has had the greatest impact and made the biggest difference 
in our lives. Are you ready to cause a little chaos? You know, I feel like I'm asking you to go roll somebody's house with me. But you know what? I am calling you to a far greater task. And that is to share your story. To cause a little chaos. So that you can point some people to Jesus. For the people who know your story, then why are they so different now? Well, let me tell you his name. For people who look at your life and as you become living proof that Jesus is, is real, that the gospel works, then why is, why is JP so different? JP, why do you work on a stage on a weekend and tell people about Jesus like I saw yesterday? Because Jesus difference, right? Why do we have dance studios that point kids to Jesus? Hey, Joey, why do we take part in Special Olympics and get medals? We point people to Jesus, right, buddy? Yeah. Are you ready to cause a little chaos? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.